Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today on the show... I will be previewing this week's game against the Missouri Tigers, who will enter Sanford Stadium 4-4 four and four in the year after getting their first SEC victory of the season last week in Nashville over the extraordinarily hapless Vanderbilt Commodores. So yeah, I get it. It's not another top 10 team coming to campus. It's not a traditional rival. I know this one doesn't have the hype or the appeal that the last couple of games have had. But it's another chance to watch a Georgia football game. And we only get so many of these each year, guys. Each and every one of them. I don't care who it's against. Each and every one of them is precious. We only get so many. And this, honestly, it's a classic letdown spot after the win over Florida and clinching the SEC East, booking our ticket to Atlanta for the SEC title game. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that this team is going to have a letdown game. I don't think that we're going to look past Missouri. I don't think we're going to sleepwalk through this game. But, you know, traditionally, this is that kind of spot. This is where it would happen. It's kind of a classic trap game setting. So just to be safe, we as fans, if you're going to the game, we need to be elite once again on Saturday between the hedges. Sanford Stadium really has become a legitimate home field advantage in a way I don't think it ever really has been before. I'm not saying it hasn't been a home field advantage, but not the way that it has been this year. And we need to make sure that happens again this week. Bring the passion, bring the noise, bring the energy for this team to feed off of so we can add yet another W to the record and keep this train moving forward. And I will preview all things Georgia, Missouri here in just a minute. But first, I do want to remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall. If you're coming in for the game this weekend, it's totally worth a quick stop in to Alumni Hall in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center. It's right there coming off 316. Load up on all your Georgia gear and accessory needs. Plus, why not go ahead and get a head start on the holiday shopping season? Get in there and get everything that you guys need before it all sells out as we get closer and closer to Black Friday and the Christmas holiday season. And if you're a military veteran, then you get a 10% discount on every single purchase. If you're a UGA student, you also get a 10% discount. Plus, they also have their Hall Pass reward system where you get credit towards future purchases on every single purchase that you make. And if you're not going to be in Athens, no worries. Just shop online at alumnihall.com for the best selection of Georgia gear and accessories that you will find anywhere. Also, if you're planning to make a trip to the Classic City anytime in the near future, now, later, whenever, make sure to book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage. I'm telling you guys, it's the best place to stay in Athens, hands down, bar none. It gives you all the comforts of home that a hotel could never do. You get three bedrooms, a full kitchenette, you got a big screen TV free tree-lined parking in the best neighborhood in Athens. There are a ton of really cool, unique bars and restaurants right in the area, easily within walking distance. It's the best spot in town, guys. So anytime you're coming to Athens, whether it's for a concert, a football game, basketball game here in a couple weeks, 
coming to visit friends, family, or just a, a trip to relive the old glory days. Whatever it might be, make sure to book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage. You can check them out on Instagram. Just search for Normal Town Cottage. You can also find them just straight up on Airbnb, or you can click the link that's pinned to our Twitter profile. But all right, guys, let's go ahead and get into this Georgia-Missouri preview. I know most of you have been with us all season long, so you know how this goes. But for those of you who might be new to the show, and this might be the first preview episode that you're checking out, the format for these preview episodes is it's pretty simple. It's a countdown format. I'm counting down 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And along the way, each segment, I'm giving you a little bit of a different look at the game. So we'll start with five players to know. Then we'll go into four stats that matter. Today, we're switching up. Normally, we have three matchups to watch. Today, I'm giving you three predictions. Just a little curveball at you. Then we could go with two game plans and one key to the game. So that's how we're going to do it. Let's get rolling here. Off the top, let's start with five players to know. I'm also going to throw you another little curveball here with, with our first segment. Normally, I start with the opposing quarterback because I think that's the most important position on the field. And that's typically where we start this conversation. Today, we're going to go with a running back. We're not going to start with a quarterback. I'm going to start with running back Tyler Beatty, who is one of those players. I know it's cliche to say, but he really is. He's one of those players where it feels like he's been at Missouri for 17 years. Like he's a 14th year senior. This guy's been around forever and forever, all the way up until this year, his entire career. He's always been the Robin to Larry Roundtree's Batman at the running back position. But this year, he finally gets to don the black cape himself and become Batman. And he is making the absolute most of it. To be honest with you guys, I've always thought watching Missouri and and doing these preview episodes every year we play them, which is every year, I've always felt he should have been far more a part of their offense than he ever was. And it because he, he honestly concerned me preparing for them, watching their games. He always concerned me more than Roundtree did because of his versatility and explosiveness. This is a guy that I felt had home run ability, and he just didn't ever get enough touches because they wanted to get Roundtree touches. And Roundtree was good, but I felt like he was limited in some ways. He wasn't a great receiver out of the backfield. He wasn't really that home run threat. Yeah, he was efficient between the tackles, but I always feel like Beatty was a guy that deserved far more carries and touches than he ever really got. But that's not the case this year. He is becoming their feature guy. He is their feature guy. And when you look at this guy off the hoof, like he might not look like much when, when you when you take a look at him. He's short, but I would say he's not small. He's one of those backs that, yeah, he's really short. He's only 5'8", but he's not a small guy. It's kind of DeAndre Swift. Swift was really short, but he wasn't small. He was a thick running back. And Beatty's certainly added on some serious mass. Earlier in his career, he was like 5'80", 180, 185 pounds. He's up to about 200 pounds right now. So he's put on some really good weight. He's bulked up to where he can kind of really shoulder the load whether it's on the edges or between the tackles now. And he runs really hard, man. Like for a guy that's not huge, he will put his shoulder down. He will try to run through you. And his production this year has been flat out elite. He has become their feature guy. And I will give you all those numbers here in just a minute when we get to our next segment with the four stats that matter. I got a lot of numbers to illustrate just how fantastic Tyler Beatty has been for Missouri this year. He has been as good as anybody in the league at the running back position really all year long. And we'll get into more detail here with the next segment. So he's he's the guy that we're going to start off with. And we've got to be prepared for him defensively first and foremost. The scattering report really needs to begin and end with Tyler Beatty. All right, moving on here. The next player to know is quarterback Connor Bazelek. Now, let me start this by saying this may be a moot point talking about Bazelik because there's a decent chance, at least a decent chance that he doesn't even play on Saturday. He suffered what head coach Eli Drinkwitz is calling a soft tissue injury last week against Vanderbilt. I'm not sure that's really the case. And I don't know if he's playing some games here, if it's a little bit of gamesmanship. I don't know. But when I watched that game against Vanderbilt, He took a hit late in that game with about six minutes to go, and he went down. And then on the next play, he's limping, kind of stumbling around a little bit, and he's holding his hip. So it clearly looked like it was his hip that was injured. I mean, maybe it was a soft tissue injury. It looked like he took a shot on that, and he banged it up. I I don't know. I'm not enough of a medical expert to say exactly what it is, but it certainly looks like it was his hip. And they took him out after that. 
And true freshman Tyler Macon came in and finished the game out for Missouri in their win over the Vanderbilt Commodores. So we don't know what's going on there. And we don't know that he won't play. So until we hear like officially he's not going to play, and look, we're probably not going to hear anything like that until closer to the game on Saturday. It might be one of those game time decisions thing where right before the game, you know, an hour or two before the game, word leaks out that he's not going to play. That's probably what's going to happen if he doesn't end up playing. So until we hear that he's not playing, I'm just going to operate on the assumption that he will play. Just like our coaches and players have to operate on the assumption that he's going to play, you have to be prepared for him. We're going to do the same thing here on this podcast. And looking at Connor Bazelak, He's a really interesting case. He had a pretty good freshman year last year during the COVID year. He took over about halfway through the season for Sean Robinson, and and he did some really good things. He was certainly not elite last year, but he was a freshman, and he flashed enough talent and and made enough big-time throws when you watched him play to warrant expectations of him making a significant year-two jump. A lot of times, the jump players make from year one to year two, that's the biggest jump they'll make in their college career. But it hasn't happened this year for Bazelik. He's basically the same guy that he was last year, really statistically, and also just watching him play. He's basically the same guy. There hasn't been any sort of jump from last year. And I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. He's not. He's he's a pretty good quarterback. He's just not an elite one. He hasn't taken that next step yet. He's still a guy that can make big time throws at times. He has that ability. But he'll also miss open guys just flat out badly sometimes. He also doesn't handle pressure well. That was an issue with him last year. It's still an issue with him this year. They had a big turnover early in that game against Vanderbilt where they could have easily made it 17-0 really early and just completely put Vanderbilt away. But as soon as they, they blocked a punt after they were up 10-0, they hit the ball like on the 10-15 yard line in the first quarter of that game, he comes right back. I think he might've been the very next play and throws just a really bad interception. There's a free runner in his face and there are a number of different, th- different things that he could have done, a number of different choices he could have made, but he kind of just stood there, panicked. His footwork just completely left him and kind of just threw the ball up for grabs. And it was picked in the end zone and Vanderbilt was able to, to, to get out of there, out of that possession without giving up any points. And that allowed them to stay in the game. They drive down the field and they get a touchdown. Now all of a sudden it's 10-7. It's a 14-point swing going from potentially 17-0 to 10-7. And that allowed Vanderbilt to stay in that game. And Missouri had a tough time pulling away from them. Honestly, if it wasn't for a Hail Mary touchdown pass at the end of the first half, Missouri's going to be down at the half to Vanderbilt. And they actually only end up winning that game by nine points, 37-28. So that really kind of changed the momentum completely in that first half. They were able to recover, but they could have put Vanderbilt away early in that game, and his inability to handle the pressure and just making a horrible decision there really, really hurt them. So he's on it, and that's, that, that was not an isolated case. He's honestly turned the ball over too much. He's already thrown eight interceptions this season, only 13 touchdown passes. But again, he does have the ability to make those big-time throws. You can see why coaches would be high on him. He just isn't doing it consistently right now. He does have some mobility. He's certainly not what I would call a dual-threat quarterback. He's not like K.J. Jefferson. He's not even like Will Levis. He's somewhere between like Stetson Bennett and J.T. Daniels. He's not as athletic and mobile as Stetson, but he's maybe a little bit more athletic and mobile than J.T. is. And Coach Drinkwist there, Eli Drinkwist, their head coach, he really likes to run the quarterback, if at all possible, selectively. He'll do it selectively. He's not going to like feature the quarterback in the run game, but he will do it to keep you honest. And honestly, he'll try to hit some explosive plays with the quarterback. Like He'll lull you to sleep, and then he'll pull out the quarterback run game. He really likes to pull off the option randomly and try to hit some explosive plays with the quarterback there. He did it when he was the offense coordinator at NC State. He did it even a little bit more at Appalachian State when he, when he took over there as the head coach, and he's doing it a little bit occasionally here with Bazelak. Not as much, but he'll still do it. So you got to be aware of that, and you got to prepare for it. So Bazelak, he's a guy that I, I think can be a really good quarterback down the road. He's just not there right now, makes too many mistakes. And honestly, he doesn't have a ton of great weapons around him in the, at the receiver position. There's a couple of guys, Toski Doves, okay. We're going to talk about Kiki Chisholm here in a minute. He's their top receiver, but he's not a dynamic, like elite number one receiver, not in the classic sense of that. So that certainly does not help him. But he's having like an okay year. He's certainly not been the quarterback that a lot of people, including myself, thought he would be coming into the year. I thought he'd make a bigger jump, and it just hasn't happened to this point. But he's still good. He's still capable of making big-time throws. All right, now, guys, those top two guys are really the impact players that, that you want to focus on for Missouri. 
honestly, I had a tough time picking out more impact players to add to this list. Like getting to five, I was like, man, how am I going to get to five? Usually I've got like way more than five guys I got to cover. Sometimes I'll double up and give you a two for one special, like two guys at one position, like we did with Florida last week with Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson at the quarterback position. Missouri, I'm just going to be real with you guys. They're not very good. I had a really hard time picking out three more impact players for you guys to be aware of going into this game. So there were slim pickings here, but I got three more guys for you. And this one, uh, this this is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going with their kicker. This is a first on the Glory UGA podcast this season in terms of like picking out five impact players. I've never had a kicker all season. Today, we're going with a kicker. So just think about what that says about this Missouri team. But kicker Harrison Mevis, he's the truth, man. He is as good of a kicker as there is in the country. He is perfect on the year with place kicks, like field goals, and on extra points. Uh, I think he's actually made 79 consecutive kicks dating back to last year. He's three, and we're not talking about just chip shots, guys. He's three of three from 50 plus this year. He's six of seven from 50 plus in his career, again, dating back to last year. He's nine of nine from 40 plus yards. He is flat out a weapon for them. He literally does not miss. I certainly hope This game does not come down to a field goal. I will be highly concerned if it does. That's a problem. But, like, if it does, like, you don't want this dude lining up for a potential game-winning field goal because he's going to knock it down. Again, literally has not missed all year. So Harrison Mavis, as good of a kicker as there is in America, certainly got to watch out for him as a Lou Groza Award winner for the nation's best kicker. So Harrison Mevis. Next up, let's go to the wide receiver position. I just kind of mentioned him a second ago. Kiki Chisholm is the top wide receiver for Missouri this year. He's a big guy, 6'5", 215. He's really not a dynamic guy. He's not a a big-time playmaker, but he is their best receiver. He had four catches for 95 yards against Vanderbilt last week. That was his best game this season. Uh, His season high on the year is seven receptions and an overtime loss to, to Boston College. He's big, he's long, he can go up and make plays at the top of the route, but he's not really an explosive type playmaker. That's not really what he does. He's not one of those guys that really scares you, that's going to take the top off of the defense. They don't really have a guy like that, to be honest. He's the closest thing they have to it. But if you look at the rest of the receiver core, Barrett Bannister is kind of their their, uh, slot receiver. Toski Doves, another guy that's more like Chisholm, not quite as tall and long, but more in that vein. They just don't have game breakers at the wide receiver position. Guys, they're going to go out and create separation just because of their natural ability. They don't have those kind of guys. And again, that's part of the reason why I think you haven't seen a jump, a bigger jump from... Connor Bazelak this year is he just doesn't have a ton of like big time weapons to work with on the outside. I think obviously Tyler Beatty is a beast. That guy's got 40 catches on the year, but receivers like pure receivers and tight ends, they just don't have those like elite guys, those game changers on the outside. And finally, I'm going to, I'm going to go with a defensive guy here. I really wanted to work a defensive guy in. I, I always try to go at least one defensive guy. I try to like even out as much as I can. But this was really hard, dude. Like, it was really hard because Missouri is so bad on that side of the ball. But I got one guy for you here. It's a grad transfer from Rice. His name is Blaze Aldridge. That's an awesome first name, Blaze Aldridge. And that's literally his given name, Blaze. Uh, He leads the team in sacks and tackles from loss from the inside linebacker position. He's got four sacks and eight tackles for loss on the year. But if you watch him play, like the guy plays hard, he's a hard-nosed player, but the athleticism is seriously lacking, and that's really kind of across the board for that Missouri linebacking core. To me, honestly, when you watch him play, there's a reason why he spent the majority of his career at Rice. He just doesn't have SEC athleticism. He just doesn't. He, He does have four sacks in the year, but here's the thing, guys. Three and a half of those, basically all of them, came against Central Michigan in week one. He's had a half a sack since week one. And his playing time has dropped recently. He actually has not had a tackle for a loss since week four against Boston College. He's kind of just one of those lumbering guys. Doesn't move all that well. He's got a little stiffness in his game. But the thing is, like, despite all of that, he's still one of their best players on that defense. There's just not a lot of options there. I guess maybe you could say Kobe Whiteside on the interior, that defensive line. But he's really, like, he's a guy that I, I thought fairly highly of in the past. He has not been good this year. He's just getting moved around. 
I don't want to say at will, but close to it. So I want to go with somebody on defense and Blaze Aldridge since he's leading the team in sacks and tackles for loss, even though it's been a minute since he's really been much of an impact player. He's the guy that we're going with, number 25 inside linebacker. He rotates in there, kind of like what we do at inside linebacker for the Tigers. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, so those are your five players to know. Let's move into the next category, which are four stats that matter. And we're going to open with this, guys. This Missouri rush defense. It has to start here. This Missouri rush defense is the worst rush defense in all of America. That is not hyperbole when I say that, guys. That is statistical reality. They are 130th nationally out of 130 FBS teams in rush defense. They are giving up 284 yards per game on the ground. It truly does not get worse than that. They are also 129th out of 130 teams in yards per rush allowed. They're giving up 6.26 yards per rush. I can't even begin to describe to you how bad that is. Every time a team is running the football on them, they're getting 6.2 yards. So run the ball two times against Missouri, and on average, you're getting a first down. They cannot stop anybody on the ground. They simply cannot. Vandy last week, remember we played Vandy, guys? Yeah, that Vandy team that we beat 62 to nothing, that hapless bunch of nobodies in Nashville. They're 106 nationally in rush offense. Last week, they just put up 258 on Missouri on the ground. Right now, it's, it's even worse than that. Against Power 5 teams, Missouri is giving up 323 yards per game on the ground. Against SEC teams, which, oh yeah, by the way, in case you forgot, we're an SEC team, they're giving up even more yardage on the ground, 335 yards per game on the ground. They've only given up less than 200 yards on the ground twice this season. They've never given up less than 174 yards rushing. They've given up more than 340 yards on the ground twice this season. And what do we do best, guys? What do we do best? Right now, offensively, clearly, it's run the football. We're rushing for 210 yards a game versus SEC opponents. We have been running the ball 70% of the time the past four games with Stetson Bennett as our starting quarterback. This is the definition of a bad matchup for Missouri. It's just not going to end well for them. It would take a Herculean effort. It would take divine intervention for them to be able to hold our run game in check. And why are they so bad? Well, basically for every reason you can think of. They're first off really undersized up front. They don't really have a true 300 pounder on the defensive line. Akil Byers is their nose guard. He's 285 pounds, 285 pounds guys. Our nose guard is about 350 pounds. You're not going to be able to have success against the run if your nose guard is 285. They all get moved. Every one of those guys up front of them, they get moved far too easily. They just don't win one-on-one battles 
on any sort of consistent basis. And it's, it's honestly, it's just rare if they do. They're unathletic at inside linebacker. They don't get off blocks. They're wildly undisciplined. Those guys fly up filled with reckless abandon, especially on the edges there. They have horrible eye discipline. Their eyes are all over the place. They're not reading their keys well. Honestly, they're just really poorly coached. Steve Wilkes, the former NFL head coach, he's their defensive coordinator, their, their new defense coordinator this year, and it has been a really bad showing for them. They've already fired the defensive line coach, I think like within the first month of the year, and that didn't really do anything. It hasn't got any better. They're just really, really, really bad against the run. And next up, let's talk a little bit more about Tyler Beatty. I, I teased this a few minutes ago when I listed him as one of the players, you know, at the top of the list there, actually. And I got a lot of numbers for you here to kind of illustrate just how good Tyler Beatty has been. So a couple weeks ago when we played Kentucky, at that time, their running back, Chris Rodriguez, was the SEC's leading rusher. We held him, I think, seven yards on seven carries, something like that. We held him in check. Well, now... Tyler Beatty has taken over as the SEC's leading rusher. He's averaging 123.6 yards per game. That also puts him, puts him in the top five nationally. I think he's fourth nationally right now in rushing yards per game. He's also second in America in yards from scrimmage per game, averaging 161.8 yards per game from scrimmage. He's got the third most receptions by a running back in college football. He's got 40 catches on the year. To put that in perspective, guys, his 40 receptions are only four fewer than our top two pass catchers combined with Brock Bowers and Ladd McConkey. He's got three 200-yard rushing games on the season. He's the most explosive player in the conference as well. He's got over 30 plays of 10 or more yards on the year, 14 plays of 20 plus yards, 11 plays of 30 plus yards, three plays of 50 plus yards. And that's what I'm talking about with this guy. He's been that kind of explosive playmaker his entire career. He's just never got enough touches. Now that he is, now that he's become the guy for Missouri, he is producing at an elite level. I mean, I'm serious guys, as well as any running back anywhere in this country. Now in fairness though, I gotta be fair, He's been really good, but his best games, like they have come against the weakest competition and the best defenses that he has faced. They've more or less bottled him up. He had 200 plus yards rushing. I mentioned three times, right? Well, those three games were against Central Michigan week one, North Texas a couple weeks back, and then Vandy last week. Those are all bad football teams. Um, and he's only averaging 60 yards rushing and 3.3 yards per rush against Texas A&M, Tennessee, Boston College, and Kentucky. So against the better teams he's faced, better defenses that he's faced, he hasn't been nearly as productive. And as you all well know, he has not played Georgia yet. This is obviously going to be the best rush defense, the best overall defense that they have faced all year. But still, the fact remains Tyler Beatty is a flat-out dangerous player, and they feature him. He's got 157 rush attempts on the year. The next closest player to him on their team has 23. There is no rotation, not like what we have. There's no rotation. It is the Tyler Beatty show, and it should be because he is the one that is keeping this offense afloat really almost single-handedly right now. So this guy, I'm telling you, You've got to know where he is every single snap. He's got to be the guy that you are prepared to stop every single snap because he is the guy for this Missouri offense. And let's go a little bit more in depth with this Missouri offense. So defensively, they're terrible. Our, our next stat here, let's talk about how capable this Missouri offense is. They're good. It's not an elite Missouri offense, but I would call it a capable Missouri offense. I think that's the right word for them. They're 32nd nationally in offensive efficiency. They're also second nationally in red zone touchdown rate. Like situationally, they're really good. They're really good in the red zone. Uh, with the red zone touchdown rate, they're scoring touchdowns 78% of the time that they get in the red zone. That's good for second nationally. They're also 12th nationally in third down conversions. And they're also an explosive offense. They are first in the SEC in plays of 30 or more yards with 27 of those. Now, Tyler Beatty has almost half of those himself, but still, they are the, the number one team in the SEC in plays of 30 or more yards. So they're an efficient team once you get in the red zone. They're efficient on third down. They have the ability to be explosive as well. This is a capable offense. It's not an offense that I'm, I'm sitting here saying should strike the fear of God into your hearts. No, but this is a good offensive football team 
that that features a really good running back and a quarterback that, again, he's not always consistent, but he has the ability to make some big-time throws. And I do have a lot of respect for Eli Drinkwitz, their head coach, as an offensive mind, as a former offensive coordinator, does a really, really good job of scheming up their offense. I've watched several different coaching clinics of his in years past, and this guy has always been really impressed with me, whether it's when he was at NC State, Appalachia State. I watched one from last year uh, when he was at Missouri. This is a guy that gets it offensively. He does some really unique things, and he is certainly a guy that you got to watch out for trick plays. We saw a couple of those against Florida. I would not be shocked. In fact, I'm expecting there to be some sort of trick play uh, this weekend because why not? They're playing with house money, right? And he's he's really good at kind of dialing those up and very creative in what he's able to come up with. So expect the unexpected and our players have to be aware for that as well. We did a good job last week. We got to be able to do a good job of that again this week. But they're a capable offense, good coordinator, really good running back, efficient, and can be explosive as well. And then the final stat that matters, this is crazy, guys. And it was even crazier before the Vanderbilt game coming into last week because uh, they actually outscored Vanderbilt in that first quarter last week. But they have really struggled all season long in the first quarter, especially against SEC teams, which again, I'm saying SEC teams because we are an SEC team. They have been outscored, even even including the Vanderbilt game, they've been outscored 70-20 to 20 in the first quarter against SEC opponents. That is crazy. And that explains to you exactly why they are one and three with that one lone win coming as Vanderbilt last week. On the flip side, we are outscoring teams 74 to nine on the season in the first quarter. So as you can clearly see, if that trend continues, this game could and maybe should be over by the second quarter. I mean, that talk about a matchup problem. They don't score in the first quarter. They give up tons of points in the first quarter. And we just, we, honestly, we don't get scored on really at all in any part of the game, but especially the first quarter. And again, we're outscoring teams 74 to 9 in the first quarter. They're getting outscored 70 to 20 in the first quarter against SEC teams. And if that holds up, it could be a really long day for the Missouri Tigers here between the hedges. Okay, here is where I'm going to switch things up a little bit. Normally, when we get to number three in the countdown, I go with three matchups to watch. Today, I'm going to give you three predictions. I just want to keep it fresh a little bit today. So my first prediction in this game, as you might imagine, as I just read off their, their struggles against, against the run defensively, my first prediction is this. We will put up our biggest rushing total of the year in this game. 273 is our previous high water mark this season. I say this week we break the 300-yard mark on the ground for the first time this season. Our ground game has really found its groove over the past couple of weeks with Stetson at quarterback. And as far as I know, Stetson's still going to be the quarterback to open this game. And he's not perfect. We all know that. We don't need to rehash that. We know that he's got some deficiencies. But for any deficiencies that he may have, his presence does enhance the effectiveness of our overall ground game. And with him back there, again, I think he'll probably still get the start here. I haven't heard anything to suggest otherwise. I think this is the game that we go over 300 yards on the ground for the first time all season and hit that high water mark on the year. So that's my first prediction. My second prediction is this, and this might not surprise you, but we'll go there. I, I just got done telling you that Missouri is a good offense. They're a competent offense. They're efficient. They have the ability to be explosive. But despite all that, I do not think that Missouri will be the first team to break 14 points in our defense. We will once again hold our opponent to 14 points or less. And my reasoning for that is pretty simple. What they do best offensively, which is running the football right now with Tyler Beatty, what they do well, it really just plays right into our hands. Tyler Beatty's awesome. I've, I've made that clear already. But their offensive line is okay at best. They do a, they run a lot of outside zone, and, and they don't get a ton of movement. Really, Tyler Beatty's just an awesome outside zone running back. He's got great vision, great cutback ability. He's really elusive in, 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 in the hole and in, in the open field as well. He's got that make-you-miss ability in the hole. And, and Bazelik has potential to be good. I do think that. And again, yes, he can make some big-time throws. But they're just too few and far between right now. It's just not a dynamic passing offense. Yeah, they throw for almost 280 yards a game. And you look at that on the surface, you're like, well, that's a, that's that's pretty good, right? Like They, they can actually throw the football. But, I mean, yeah, kind of. They're second in the SEC in passing attempts, but they're only 11th in the league in yards per attempt, 7.1 yards per attempt. 
Uh, by comparison, we're at number one in the SEC at 9.8 yards per attempt. So what does that tell me? That tells me that their numbers, 280 yards passing a game, those are inflated because they just throw the ball a lot and they're not really efficient when they do it. Only 7.1 yards per attempt, 11th in the SEC. So I just don't think that they have the guys out wide. They're going to create consistent separation. They really do it by scheme. And he and Dringwood schemes it up really well, but I just don't think their passing offense is dynamic enough right now with the quarterback and the receivers to really hurt us too much of the air. And you guys know how good we are on the ground. I know Tyler Beatty's great, but he hasn't played a defense like ours. And I think we're gonna be able to hold Missouri once again, hold another team under 14 points in this one. And finally, now this is the big prediction. Stay with me here. My final prediction is that JT Daniels will play in this game. I'm not saying he's gonna start, but I'm gonna predict that JT will make his reappearance for the Georgia Bulldogs in this game between Missouri. I do not have specific inside info on this. No one has told me this. This is me kind of reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, okay? What I have been told is that when the coaches feel JT is ready, then he will be the guy again. Now, is that going to hold up? Is that going to continue to be the case? I don't know that for sure. I don't know. But what does that even mean? Like, when he's ready, he'll be the guy. What does that even mean, being ready? I, I think it's more so about getting JT back in the swing of things and getting him confident in those live situations again. I mean, he's cleared to practice. He's practicing right now pretty much full go. Uh, he practiced most of last week full go, but that was really his first full week back. I think that was a big factor in why he did not play against Florida. This week gives him another full week of practice. Now, how, how many of the reps is he getting right now? How much is he eating into? I don't know the answer to that, but I do think that we will build a big enough lead in the second half that it will create an opportunity to get JT in the game, to give him those live opportunities, to see where he is, and also get him back into the swing of things. I really think what it is more than anything right now is he might be lacking some confidence in, his, in the injuries himself. Maybe the coaches really just want to see how it, how he responds to it in a live setting, like when you're actually playing. It's one thing to do in a controlled environment, but when you haven't been practicing, you haven't been getting the reps, you got the rust factor, things have been rolling offensively with Stetson. It just made sense last week to roll with Stetson, and I know Stetson didn't have a great game, but it ended up being okay, it ended up working out. But I think this week, as we get JT more reps, he shakes off more of that rust, he gets further removed from the injuries, I think that we're going to see him in this game. I think there's going to be an opportunity for him to get in, and I think that he will. Now, I do not know that for sure, but that's my prediction because here's the thing, guys. At some point, if JT does not start to get out there, we're just going to have to be content with the fact that Stetson Bennett is our quarterback. Like, there's got to be a there's a threshold at some point and time is running out on this season like that drop dead deadline like it's got to be coming pretty soon at what point do you just draw a line and say all right we have to roll with Stetson it's too late in the year we can't upset the apple cart because like JT coming in the reason people want JT to come in is because they think it can open up things in the passing game our offense was I laid it out earlier in the week our offense was different with JT it's transformed with Stetson Bennett at what point do you have to sit there and say, all right, this is who we are offensively. We don't have enough time to really completely revamp our offense and start doing things that we haven't been doing offensively for the past month and a half, two months. At some point, you have to draw that line. And we're running out of time. So that deadline, it's coming up soon. So we've got to start getting JT opportunities to get him into the football game. And I think this game against Missouri will present that opportunity. And he needs to take advantage of that. If he wants to take this job back, he needs to, when he gets an opportunity, like I think I'm hoping that he will in this game, and I'm predicting that he will, he needs to make the most of it so they can start to earn the coach's trust back, get his confidence back, prove that the injuries aren't a problem for him anymore so that he can hopefully be able to, to retake that job and open up more of the passing game for this offense. So yeah, that's my prediction. No inside info there. Can't guarantee it, but I'm predicting that JT Daniels will get his first playing time for Georgia since late September. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Okay, let's move on to our next segment, which is two game plans. And let's start with the Missouri offense versus the Georgia defense. How are we going to defend this Missouri offense? What do they want to do? And how are we going to defend that? The outside zone is what Missouri does. That is their number one run play. It's their number one overall play. Everything that Missouri does offensively is built off of the outside zone. In fact, I've actually heard Eli Drinkwitz use those exact same words. I've heard him call it their number one run play. I've heard him say everything they do is built off of that. What they want to do is establish the outside zone. It's not the only run play they run. They'll do like they like to run out of the pistol formation and they'll they'll run some counter out of that. They'll do some option at times. They'll do some ISO. But again, their number one run play, their number one overall play is outside zone. They want to establish that. They want to get you thinking outside zone. Then they want to work play action off of. They want to run, work the quarterback run game off of, the RPO game, all of it. Everything else they do it is built off of establishing the outside zone. And again, Eli Drinkwitz, I have a lot of respect for him. He does a great job of packaging plays, running constraints off of that base outside zone action. For example, let me give you an example from the, from the Vandy game, okay? So that's the game they played last week. So early in that game, they ran, I think it was the first quarter, it was a sequence where they run outside zone, outside zone, two plays in a row. Then they run play action boot off the outside zone, get a nice about 10, 15 yard uh, gain there off a play action pass. Then they go back to outside zone again. And then they come back, the next play, go outside zone RPO. That's what they want to do. They want to establish that and they work constraints off of that. Now, they're also a heavy RPO team. There are two RPO concepts they really like to run. They like to run razor and knife. Right, let me quickly explain what both those are so you, so you can kind of identify it when you're watching this game on Saturday. Razor, they're both pretty simple. And, and razor is really good against like a, a, a four down front. Uh, it really kills cover three. So if teams, teams like to play cover three against RPOs, or, well, they like to play cover three when a team is running the ball. Them. So if they're establishing the uh, the outside zone, teams will like to go to cover three because it allows them to get an extra safety in the box, get another guy in the box, and you play cover three behind that. So when teams do that, to try to take away your outside zone, they'll go to RPO. And Razor is a really good way to attack cover three. And it's really simple. You have um, the inside receiver, the number two receiver, is going to run a one-step slant. And the outside receiver, the number one receiver, is going to run a five-yard in. And basically, they're just reading that that star defender, or it could be the outside linebacker, depending on what defense they're playing. If that guy crashes on the run, they're going to throw that slant. If the safety that's down the box, the star, whoever it is, if he takes that 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 one-step slant, they'll throw the five-yard in route behind that. And the reason they don't run double slants there is because the breaking point, so when you're running two slants, is basically the exact same time. So if you're late to the outside slant, the corner the cornerback can eventually break on that. So they run a five-yard in route with that. So that's one thing they'll run. Again, it's just uh, the inside receiver, your slot receiver is running a slant. And then the outside receiver, that number one receiver, is running a five-yard in. Simple concept, very effective for them. The other concept, knife concept, it's pretty simple in itself as well. This is much better against odd fronts. And this time, the number one receiver, the outside receiver, he's running the slant. And the number two receiver, that inside receiver, whether it's a slot receiver, it could be a running back, it could potentially be a tight end, whoever the number two receiver is there, he's going to run a flat route, all right? And again, they're just kind of reading what that, it could be a safety, it could be a star defender, whoever has kind of come down in the box right there, they're reading what they're doing. Are you attacking the run? If so, they'll pull it and they'll throw it. If they're not, then they'll run the football. If you stay and play the pass, they'll run the football. Simple RPO concepts, but that's what they really like to really like to do offensively. So for me, if I'm a defensive coordinator, if I'm Dan Lanning, if I'm Kirby Smart, it's pretty obvious what you do here in this game. This is a man coverage game for us because man coverage is the best way to take away RPOs. It takes away the windows. It really closes those windows down. It takes away kind of the, that conflict defender more than you than you do in a, in a cover three in any sort of zone. So I think you're going to see a, a heavy dose of two man, which is a two high shell with man underneath, some four man as well, which is basically like a version of, of quarters coverage that really looks like man. It's kind of like matchup zone more or less. And the reason I think man coverage is the way to go here, again, take away RPOs, and they also don't have the wide receivers to really scare us outside. I mean, if you play man, the one thing that can scare you, especially if you're playing press man, is what if you have a receiver that can beat you on the outside 
and all of a sudden now you're giving up explosive plays. I don't think they have the wide receivers that can really do that on a consistent basis. Plus, I think you're going to be able to contain the run with even numbers. So for me, it's a pretty simple game plan. A lot of man coverage, contain the run with even numbers, which you've been able to do all year long. Tyler Beatty's really good, but I think we should be able to do that again this week against Missouri. And then the flip side of that, the Georgia offense versus the Missouri defense. This one is so painfully simple. And I don't mean to be so simplistic. You guys know I like to dive into the X's and O's and give you a, a deep dive look into all these games. But this one, it doesn't require that. It's just so, so painfully simple. Run the damn ball. Of course, you got to work in your play action shot plays to, cre- to try to create explosive plays off of that. But against the worst defense in the country, with the worst rushing defense in the country, who's actually been good rushing the past. That's the only thing they've done well. They're top 10 nationally in sack rate. So when you got a defense that cannot stop the run to save their lives, simply cannot, it doesn't matter who they're playing, even Vanderbilt cannot stop the run, and they actually get after the passer well when you drop back to throw like a pure drop back game, why on earth would you do anything other than run right at them? You would have to be crazy to sit there and just work the drop back pass game. What is the job of an offensive coordinator? It's to put up points, right? How do you do that? Well, first you identify and exploit the opposing defense's deficiencies. And the last thing you want to do is play into their strengths. That's what you do as, as an offensive coordinator. Identify what to do well and don't do that. Identify what they don't do well and do that. Exploit that. That's play calling 101. It's so, so simple here in this game. This is one where you just really don't need to outthink yourself. Now, of course, Missouri's defense, their defense coordinator, Steve Wilkes, they're going to know that's going to be our game plan. Of course, you're going to know that because that's everyone's game plan against Missouri. But it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. We're not talking about one bad game defensively here against Missouri. We're not talking about two or three bad games in a row. We're talking about an entire season of being absolutely dreadful against the run, fully incapable of stopping the run, and it doesn't matter who it's been. It's every team they've played this year. So I know everyone's clamoring for JT Daniels, and trust me, I want to see him too, but this is a game where, honestly, Stetson Bennett's skill set actually works better for us in attacking Missouri's defense because Stetson gives us a little bit more in the run game. He makes the overall run game a little bit more effective with his ability to run and use his legs, which forces the defense to have to account for him. So this is a matchup that I think just really plays extraordinarily well into what we do well offensively. And we just simply need to lean on that and just lean full 100% into it and play that game. But okay, guys, it is time to move into the last segment of the episode, and that is our one key to the game. Again, I could give you guys some X's and O's. I've laid all that out for you already. I could give you some X and O key to the game. Obviously, stopping the run with even numbers, that's a key for us every single week that we play because that's key to everything that we do defensively. And most of the teams that we've been playing, they feature the run games. That's always been a key really almost all season for us. I discipline just like last week against Florida will be important because Eli Drinkwitz, like Dan Mullen, does a really good job of trying to get your eyes in the wrong places. He uses motion and shifting really well. He works constraint plays off of his base plays really well. So all those kind of things, those are all important keys to this game. Don't turn the football over. Don't give them easy scores because that's the only way Missouri is going to be able to consistently put up points is we're going to have to help them. We're going to have to give them those points. So all those things are important. They can be considered keys to the game. Absolutely. But for me, it's even more simple than that. It's what I said at the outset of the show. This would be a classic trap game spot. Coming off a big revenge win over your rival in Jacksonville, clinching the SEC East in the process with a little bit of help from Kentucky, losing to Mississippi State later that night. In years past, this is a spot, a situation where we would play down to the opponent who's fired up for a shot at plan number one with house money, right? What's Missouri got to lose here? This team, as I've been saying all year, is different, right? They play to a standard. They actually mean it. A lot of teams like to talk the talk and say, they, oh yeah, we play to a standard. It's about us. It's not about them. 
there's very few teams that actually mean it. They actually walk that walk. This team is walking that walk. So I don't worry about this team falling into that trap and having an emotional letdown spot and not playing to their standard the way that I've worried about previous Georgia teams. For a while there, guys, I mean, it was it was inevitable. Every year we had, even under Kirby Smart, we had those games. You know, South Carolina, Vanderbilt at home back in 2016, we had those games. And this year, no, earlier in the year, I was kind of waiting for it. I was, I was bracing for it to happen. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it can't happen. Anything can happen. It's college football. We know that. It's, by definition, anything can happen in college football. We see it on a weekend and week out basis. But I'm really becoming a believer in this team and their mindset and how they approach every game. I'm not saying they can't lose. That's not true. Anybody can lose in college football. But I don't think we're going to lose a game because we don't show up to play. I think this team has a different mindset. But my key to the game, even though I don't believe it's going to be a problem, and maybe it's because I don't want to believe it's going to be a problem, but my key to the game is simply don't sleepwalk. Don't fall into that trap. Because if we come out and play anything close to our game and do what we've been doing all season and take care of business, Missouri can't win. It's not going to be close. The The line is massive. I was shocked to see it would be 39, which is where it opened. I, I could not believe that. I mean, maybe I, I shouldn't have been surprised, but 39 is just a massive, massive number. And I'm not going to sit here and say we're going to cover. We'll talk more about that. We'll, we'll talk about that when we do our Picks of the Week show later on this week. I'll get to that. But just don't sleepwalk. Just don't sleepwalk. Don't get caught up in the talk. Don't get caught up in the 39-point line. Don't get in this trap of, well, we clinched. Well, we beat our rival and kind of say, well, now we can take a deep breath. You know, We went through that really tough stretch in October. It's not just the Florida game. It's where we had the toughest stretch this season. You've got Arkansas, you got Auburn, Kentucky, and you wrap that with Florida. And we made it through that tough stretch with a lot of injuries. We made it through with flying colors. So don't just relax. Don't exhale. Don't take that deep breath right now. It's not time for that. I don't think this team will do it, but that's really, to me, that's the key to the game. Because if we don't do that from an X and O standpoint, from an actual football standpoint, this team should not be able to hang. I think for them to hang and have anything resembling a chance, we have to help them. And one way we'd help them is sleepwalking through the game. So that's the key for me. Just have the right mindset like we've had all year long and everything else should take care of itself. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I appreciate you guys checking it out and supporting our podcast all throughout this season. We greatly appreciate that. Charlie and I will be back on Thursday afternoon. So we'll have that show up to wrap things up this week with our picks of the week, where we will give you our official game picks for this Georgia-Missouri matchup. Thanks again. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.